Gracious and loving God, we ask that you would mold us into the people that you want. We can honor and serve you and receive from you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I want to suggest um, something just from experience that the greatest joy that there is, the greatest sense of fulfillment, like one of the best things you can ever experience is when you're in some place where you feel like God has called you to be in that place and you're doing what God wants you to do. That that is like really, really a sweet spot in life to get to that place. And it shouldn't surprise us. That's what the sacred writings, I think, teach us. We can think about a lot of different examples of that. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his workmanship, created for good works in Christ. We're made for this. We're, we're wired that way. Or you can look at other passages like Romans 6.13, which um, says that we're to be about God's purposes doing his good works. This idea that that's a deep and profound place. And really, when we're doing something bigger than ourselves, like that for God, there's something really powerful in that. If we go around living our lives just for ourselves, it's not that way. We ultimately, I think, will find frustration or deep down when we get there. Sometimes it's not to or through running that we realize it, but we'll get to a place where we're really unsatisfied. Because at the end of the day, you're not big enough, I'm not big enough to fill in all this stuff about what it's supposed to be about. And that's kind of really what I want to talk about today as, as we go on. And I'll say more about it in a minute. But if you look at Christians through the ages and you look at the Christian witness today, you'll hear this voice a lot. The people who say, I'm foregoing what, what, all this other stuff I could do for myself, but I'm leaning into what God's calling me to do and his purposes. And it's deeply satisfying. It's something I'm made for. It's something that is supposed to happen. And when we hear those kinds of witnesses, I wonder why we don't do it more often. What pulls us back? I think there are a lot of barriers that, we, that get in the way. I think one of them can be a faith thing. We can talk about that. But part of it, I think when we round that corner, we begin to get to a place where we understand who God is and, what, and all this stuff, and we get some trust with Him, we can still get to where we don't go there because we either um, feel like we're disqualified or we're unqualified, or something else. And I think this disqualified thing is a big thing that happens to us, right? Because we go along and we think to ourselves, um, yeah, these other people are doing these things, but I don't, I, don't want to, I don't want people to know I'm a Christian, I'm doing something, or I don't want to lean into this because I'm not good enough. Or, you know, I've, if, if people only knew what I've done, kind of thing. I almost didn't go to seminary because of this. That's the truth. I was lined up to go to seminary, and I had this little phase of time we can talk maybe spiritual warfare another day or stuff, but I don't know. But there was, there was this home stretch headed to seminary where I was like, yeah, I'm not good enough for this, which is just false thinking, as I'll say in a few minutes. But, but this idea that we get to where we can think that, that it happens, or we think we're unqualified. We think, well, I don't have any big talents or skills or stuff that God can use, but God has given gifts to everyone in this room. And the greatest joy in life, this sweet spot, is taking those gifts and using them for God's purposes. And when we start to think about being unqualified or being disqualified, I think the greatest person to look to in the Bible is Paul, St. Paul, because he's got this horrendous past that we're going to talk about in a few minutes. But he did so much. I mean, if you go look at Paul, he wrote like somewhere between a half and a third of the New Testament. He started all these churches all over the place. I mean, he did all this stuff. 
And what I want to do today is, as we, as we think about this and talk about this, I want to look at one of the things he wrote about ministry. And it's one that we read patiently during our first reading, um, because, that, because I want to open that up and really look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, in the passage that we read a few minutes ago. And we're doing this as part of a sermon series where we're looking at what it means that this Easter miracle takes place, that God has this new day of mercy, and what it means when this mercy comes into our own lives and everyday life and how we live. And today what I want to talk about is how that mercy comes into our, the call in our lives and what we do with it. And as we look at that, I want to start by just unfolding a little bit of the passage we read. There are 18 verses we read, so I'm not going to do all of them. But I want to look at just like three of the verses that we read out of that passage. Because I think it's one of the most powerful passages that we get anywhere about ministry. And this opening verse, I just want to dwell on the opening verse, 18, um, chapter 4, verse 1 where it says, therefore, since by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. That it, it's because of God's mercy. It's all about God's mercy. All of this is about God's mercy that, that starts and is fundamentally this new day of mercy on Easter. All about His mercy. And last week, if you weren't with us, I would encourage you to go back and um, get the sermon. You can get it on our media spot on the website. But um, we talked about a number of things. But one of the things we talked about was this New Day of Mercy about what mercy is. And I gave you this definition that it's undeserved forgiveness or unearned kindness. That's what mercy is. Undeserved forgiveness, unearned kindness. And so when you have done something and you don't deserve forgiveness and somebody says, I forgive you, that's mercy. And when you have somebody who gives you kindness that you can never repay and you haven't earned, that's mercy. And everything we encounter with God in life is ultimately about mercy. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. We can't really ever really repay it back. It's all mercy. And when we go there, it changes what we do and the things that we do. And I want to say more on that in a minute. But the first part is when we read this passage and it talks about God's mercy, this, this ministry that we have, that's got by God's mercy that we're engaged in this ministry. Some people tune out and say, well, I'm not, I'm not a minister and I'm not engaged in ministry. And if that's what you're thinking, um, we need to back up and look at the word ministry for a minute. I don't want you to get hung up on that word. Think of the word ministry really as sort of being a synonym for service. And kind of more precisely, what it really is, is taking the talents that God's given you and using them to meet people's needs. And I, I would add probably in the name of Christ. But but certainly it's this idea of taking God-given talents and using them to meet people's needs. And so when you look at it that way, many of us engage in ministry in our work. You're taking God-given talents and using them to help people. That's ultimately what ministry is. And ministry, whatever it is, how we do it, is a gift. Something you haven't earned or deserved, but God gives it to you. And it's how we're wired. Again, I'm going to go back to that passage one more time from Ephesians 2, that you are his workmanship created for good works in Christ. That's how we're wired. That's why I think to go to this sweet spot in this deep place is figuring out how you're going to use your gifts and talents for, to help people in his name. But if we realize what Paul starts this passage with, that it's about mercy, it's all about mercy, I think it has a lot of really important um, implications in what we do. Um, and it changes how we approach all this. The, the first of which is, if it's a gift and if it's a thing of mercy, 
it's not something that we earn, then just forget all the workaholism kind of stuff. Like you're never going to achieve more and make God happier or whatever. It's not because you're earning it, accomplishing something. Your worth isn't tied up in that. Your worth is because you're a child of God, that he created you. He's just endowed you with this worth. And you don't have to go prove your worth. It's all about his mercy. So, just, so we can just let that go. And that, for many of us, that's like a big breath of fresh air. You know, you don't have to prove you've got this worth. It comes because you're a child of God and God's given it to you. But we want to bless him. We want to return the gift to him, right? We want to turn around and use these gifts. And that's part of what we're going to continue to talk about in a minute. The second sort of thing that flows from this when we realize it's all about mercy is that we get stuff wrong. We don't just sit there and wallow in our guilt. We all get stuff wrong. We've talked about this before. I'll say more in a minute, but all of us get stuff wrong. All of us are broken. We talked about this last week, and it's because of God's mercy and grace and love that he calls us, right? And sometimes people say, yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but you don't know what I've done. You would be so shocked if you knew what I've done. Like, okay, I think after like the first six months, I was at an Anglo-Catholic parish when I started, so I heard a lot of confessions. Nothing has dropped my jaw after the first six months, all right? So <laughs> nothing you're thinking is going to surprise me, right? I mean, God still calls us. And I think the greatest example of this I already hinted to is St. Paul, because when you look at Paul, God's going to use him in some fantastic ways. But he starts out horribly, right? I mean, if you read the book of Acts, you know Paul's goal in life at the start of the Christian movement was to kill it. He's in Jerusalem trying to do away with all of Christianity. He's there presiding when Stephen, the first martyr, is killed. I mean, he's, he's all in trying to, with zealousness, trying to kill the Christian church. He gets permission to go out beyond Jerusalem to try to kill it as it starts. And you think, oh, he must be disqualified. And God calls him and doesn't just call him. He gets him to give his gifts and he uses him for all these great things. We're not disqualified. And if you look at the Bible from the start, God has always used flawed people. Everybody in the Bible is flawed, but Jesus, right? And you start looking at these, you know, some of these are their fault, some of them are not. But just think about this for a minute. Like, start at the very beginning with Abraham. He's 100 years old when God finally starts to use him. And you're like, what did you do the first 100 years? <laughs> or you think about Jacob, who's like a chronic liar, but God uses him. Or you think about Joseph, who's abused, not his fault, but he's abused. God uses him, goes on. Or people like Samson, who I think our counselors in the room would call a, a, a reckless codependent or something. <laughs> or Rahab, the prostitute, who ends up in the, the book that's called the Hall of Faith in Hebrews. She is used by God in these powerful ways. Or King David, who's held up as such a great person after God's heart, who's not only an adulterer, but a murderer. Or Moses, the great founder of the Jewish people, bringing them together through the desert. He, he commits murder with an Egyptian. You go on and on. God always uses broken and flawed people. And there's this old saying in the church that many of you will have heard, but is always, I mean, which I think is true. It's not in Scripture, but I think it's, it's a true statement that says every saint has a past and every sinner has a future because it's about mercy. And it's about grace that way. And he calls us into this as well, right? I think the other thing we can see in this passage is a corollary to what we're saying is if it's all about mercy, 
and, and come, leaning into to how God's called us this way, that a corollary to it is, is don't hide. Like, be who you are. And, and look at the w- way Paul says this in the passage that we read. Um, I'm going to read it, um, the translation from the message. This is verse 2. He says, we refuse to wear masks and play games. We don't maneuver and manipulate behind the scenes. And we don't twist God's word to suit ourselves. Rather, we keep everything we do and say out in the open. The whole truth on display. So those who want can see and judge for themselves in the presence of God. This idea of just, we're going to live it out in the open and be transparent. God's made you. He's calling you the way you are. To be authentic and to be real and to minister from that place. And I've said it before, but this, uh, when I was a freshman in high school, this went deep in me. But I had a moral theology class taught by Sister Digna. And Sister Digna taught the class, I think, all year that sin is anything that alienates you from, from God from your, your fellow humans, or from your true self. And that's the part I want to dwell on, this true self. God's calling you and your true self. Surrender it to God. Let Him use you. Don't hide. Don't try to be somebody else. God has plans for you just the way you are. And I think along with that, there are some things that follow, right? God wants to use you in your weakness. In fact, I think God uses us sometimes most powerfully when we own our weakness, and we're willing to talk about it and use it. I mean, I think when, if, if people come in in ministry or something or you're with your friends, however God's calling you, and you start talking about all the stuff you've got together, I got it together, let me tell you all these great things. People are like, oh my gosh, who's that guy or that girl or whatever. But if you come in and say, and are you willing to share your weakness and your brokenness and whatever else it is, I think God really uses that a lot of times to connect with people because we're all hurting at some level and we're all broken at some level. And when we share that, and give that, God uses it. And I, so I think right along with our weaknesses is our pain. When we're, we honestly put out there the pain we're in, God uses it. God will use our pain. Connect with people, to share with people, to encourage people, all the different things that we do. I think that's the second part that we get in this passage. There's so much in this passage about ministry that we could just keep going. Um, the final piece of this passage, I think, if we're going to experience this sweet spot is to come back and hear what Paul is saying about how we focus. And Paul is going to say it. Um, it's something I think we probably don't say enough. Is, is Paul wants to say it's not about you. It's not about you. That it's ultimately about focusing on God and putting God at the center place where he's made to be. On the throne of our hearts. In the center of who we are and what we're about. And the way this passage reads, this is in verse 5. Paul says, we do not proclaim ourselves, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. And, or as the message says, remember our message is not about ourselves. We're proclaiming Jesus Christ, the Master. This is one of those moments or those points in Christianity that is completely against the grain. It's completely countercultural because our, our big um, thing in society about how we sell things and how we do things is it's all about you. You need to get it just the way you want it, you know? It's order, order every little detail, every little thing just the way you want it because it's, it's about you. I was listening to a radio program this week uh, on one of the local radio stations, and they had a, I think it was a psychology professor who just written a book about the marriage industry and all, this stu- all the stuff that goes on and all this stuff. And, and it was interesting to hear her talk about it, but she got down to talking about honeymoons. 
And she said, um, do you know what the most popular honeymoon location is in the United States? Who knows? Huh? Disney World. Somebody said it. Disney World. And so they were asking her, like, why do you think Disney World is the most popular honeymoon location? And she said, well, actually, I flew there and interviewed all these people that were there for their honeymoons. And the most common thing she heard was because the place makes us feel special. You know, that we not only get to participate in being the princess and we're living these dreams like this, but you get the special ears with the bridal thing and the <laughs> black hat and everybody's congratulating you everywhere you go and you feel special. It's about us, you know, it's about us. And then Paul wants to give us this super countercultural message that says it's not about you. And if you actually want to have a deep place in life, a deep place of meaning, it's not about you. It's about putting Jesus in that place. He's the way, the truth, the life. He's the one that goes to this, this, this core place about how we live. And a part of the mission of the church and the reason we gather is to worship and do all this, but part of it is to put God back on that center place. And, um, you know, I've said this before when we've done these instructed Eucharists, but when you put your hands together in the Eucharist, a lot of people will tell you the symbolism is you're making a throne on which God is placed to be at the center of who we are. And St. Paul talks about this in the passage. We don't have time to go into all this, but he's going to ultimately say it's not about us. It's ultimately because God puts this treasure down in these clay jars. We're clay jars. And I love that image because I always think about some ugly clay jar. That some, somebody didn't really know how to make it. But this beautiful treasure goes in it. And that's what we are. It's ultimately about this love and this treasure and this stuff that comes in because of God's mercy. And when we let that, we ask God to not only just put that in us, but to use it, let it come out in the ways that bless the world. That feels so good. That is the sweet spot of life. And our question that I want to leave you guys with is why don't we do that? Why don't we do more of that? What's holding us back from saying, God, have your way. Use me to bless your world, to be about your kingdom purposes, and you get blessed in the process. You find that sweet spot. Is it because I don't feel worthy, I'm disqualified, or I'm angry with you, or I'm not trusting you? Whatever it is, bring it out front and center and, and, and work on it because there's a great blessing to be had as we surrender and as we let him use us. That's the sweet spot. Let's pray.